0: Well, it's good to be in this room. Uh, I've called this room the living room for a while uh, because so much life has been imparted to me in this room. And I could reminisce a lot uh, as I stand here and look around. Sharon could too. We are so grateful for the ministry of Living Waters Church to our lives. You know, almost 30 years ago, when I didn't know what I was doing, I still don't uh, sometimes, uh, uh, starting a private practice as a counselor, I get this phone call. And on the other end, uh, this guy says, hi, my name is Stephen Riley, and I'm a youth pastor at this church in Shelbyville, and I'm looking for someone to refer some of my people to, some of my families to, and uh, but before I do that, I need to meet you. So Stephen, you know, a good pastor, so we have time together, and he is grilling me on my theology and on my psychology, and on my approach. I mean, just really kind of opening the hood and kicking the tires and making sure I wasn't crazy. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was a long time ago. Uh, over, over the early months of that relationship, he said, I want you to meet my father-in-law, Joel League, and Joel uh, ended up becoming uh, a dear friend, a personal pastor, uh, just a, a really important person in my life, and so we've got uh, this rich, rooted history here in this place. Uh, every Wednesday that I'm, at least in the country, uh, for the last almost 30 years, I've been here which is, I mean, I'm thinking about the road between here and Wilmore. I think I've just got it memorized. Uh, and so started out when the school was still here, and Lynn Heyman got out of her office in time for me to take over uh, in the afternoons on Wednesdays, and I would have a place to meet with people. And, uh, and over the time, I've kind of been kind of moving around the campus a little bit, but I've got a great spot and love being here on Wednesdays and uh, just feel so at home. It's been a long time since we've been here on a Sunday morning. So it is a real delight for us to be here, and a real honor um, to be here with with you and on a really important day for me. And uh, I'm going to ask this question, and I'll hopefully answer this today, because I get asked this question from time to time, why Israel? That's a good question. Come on, Martin, I mean, what is it about Israel that's so important? Aren't they just one among 200 nations on the planet? And what what is so important about Israel? I think it's a good question, and I think it's important, at least at the beginning, for me to say this. When I say that I am pro Israel it might be more important to say i'm i'm pro the god of Israel um, you know there's an important distinction I think to be made at least where i 'm coming from to say that when I say israel and i 'm pro israel i 'm not necessarily pro everything that is political Israel you know uh, political Israel is not unlike uh, political america you know i 'm glad to be an American, but I have to tell you there are some things governmentally that I really have trouble with, and I think that would be true as as we kind of peel apart sort of the kinds of things that are going on governmentally in Israel. But here's the deal. We, as believers, I, as a believer, am pro-God's purposes and plans for Israel. He has a plan for our nation. He has a plan for Israel. And it's important for us to watch this. You know, um, my father, when I was a little boy, my dad was a newspaper reader. He read two newspapers a day. And uh, maybe that's where I get my kind of news uh, kind of stuff from. But he would read articles to us as children. And you know, usually we were someplace else playing, you know, he's in the living room reading to us. And I remember as a little boy him saying to me one day, Martin, always keep your eye on Israel because it's how you will know what God is doing in the nations around the world. Didn't mean much to me then, but i tell you it stuck with me. And it makes all the sense in the world today. I thank my dad for that. So um, as we kind of begin to pull this apart a little bit, my heart's really full. And I'm trying to condense all this, and it probably could be a three-sermon series kind of thing that I want to share with you today, but I, I'm praying that God has distilled something really important for us to consider. So as I start to think about this, the first place I kind of land is uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This this picture that we have is uh, the disciples meeting with the risen Lord. And so they're gathered together, this is right before Jesus ascends to heaven, and the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's the question they ask. And commentators for years have said, what were these guys thinking asking a question like that? I mean, and, you know, kind of in a condescending sort of way. Well, here, here's my thought on this. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's not altogether true or right, but I'm thinking, okay, these Jewish boys knew what they were asking, Right? I mean, we read this and we think about it differently. But, but these guys were Jewish. They were rooted in, in um, Jewish tradition. And so when we read that, we think something very differently than what they were even asking. You see, it's like we come in sort of in the middle of the story. And we live in an age where I, I actually, some of you remember this. I can tell because you're gray like me. Uh, we used to watch our favorite television show and horror of horrors. We'd have to wait an entire week to watch the next episode, Right? Now, today, it's all fixed for us. Netflix just keeps rolling through the next one. We can binge watch all week long if we want to waste an entire weekend. But here's the thing. If I was to say to you, I right, watch, this, watch this, this series. You're going to love it. There's five seasons. What season would you tune in to start watching? I'm a counselor. You've got to give me some feedback. Yeah, one. Because why? If you start in in season three, it's not going to make sense. You're not going to understand the characters, the plot line, the development. This is my point. We, as Gentile Christians, very often are jumping in in the middle of the story. So we don't understand questions like this. We just don't understand. I'm not proud of this, but I'll be honest and tell you that um, as a young Christian, I didn't didn't spend much time in the Old Testament. You know that kind of gold color on the the edges of your, your pages of your Bible? It was pristine in the Old Testament. But my or my New Testament was kind of kind of rough and ratty, and that's simply because I was sort of raised in an environment where it wasn't a priority. It was, I mean, no one ever really said that from a pulpit that I remember, but I kind of grew up kind of believing that. I mean, it was sort of this theology that was handed to me, and I never really considered, you know, what's going on with regard to this kingdom. What does what this kingdom really mean? What did the disciples say? Well, you know, we can say a lot about this today um, if you if you read the Old Testament, you see many places where God is interacting with with, uh, uh, the Jews in the wilderness and shaping a people to himself. Exodus 19 through 24 is a big chunk of Scripture that if you've got time this week, start reading through it. It's fascinating. I mean, God is literally laying out what the kingdom should look like in every aspect, uh, politically, interpersonally, financially. He's talking about all these things. But it's interesting at the beginning of that chunk of Scripture in in, uh, chapter 19, verse 5, he says this. Although the whole Earth is mine, it's all mine, you will be for me ready, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. kingdom. That's what I think that the disciples were really asking, Jesus, are we, are we going to finally be able to live out our call and our destiny as a people? Is it going to finally happen? Are you going to restore this? Because we've seen, as we walk through the history, uh, things didn't go as planned. I mean, the the history of Israel is one of repeated failure, repentance, faithfulness for a while, failure, right? You know, um, kind of like what many of our journeys with the Lord has been. If we're really honest with one another, right? Seasons of faithfulness, failure. God restores us. Very much like that, and so we know that that's kind of their history. We know that uh, being a kingdom of priests really hasn't been lived out yet. Uh, among the Jewish people. I think the, the, these these nice Jewish guys were just saying, is this, is this the time? Can we finally do this? Sidebar here, what's really important, I think, is that when we're thinking about what God is, is planning on doing, what His goal is among the Jews today, it's not tied to their faithfulness to Him necessarily. Now, Martin, what are you talking about? Well, if you read Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, what you find are specific places in scripture where god is saying look you've been unfaithful but i'm going to restore you to the land you've rejected me but i'm going to restore you to me why well again in your free time this week take a look at ezekiel 36 um, what god is saying here in in verse 22 for example it's not for your sake people of israel that i'm going to do these things i'm it's not it's not for your sake that I'm going to restore you to the land. It's not for your sake that I'm doing all these. I'm doing it for my name's sake. What does God mean by that? Well, it means that God is saying, look, I can't lie. I made a covenant with you. I promised to do these things. I'm going to do them, not because you're getting it all right, but I'm going to do them because I am God. I don't lie. Very important. I mean, I think when people talk about um, Israel and they begin to kind of think, well, You know, we don't see a lot of faithfulness necessarily in in even uh, what's going on today. But I'm telling you today, here's one big idea out of the sermon this morning. God has purposes and plans for Israel that are yet to be completed, and he will do it for his namesake. Very important. You know, we think that somehow we have to get everything lined up just right, and then God acts on our behalf. And God's saying, look, when I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. When he saves you and says, look... uh, there's, there's assurance you're, you're, you are you're have a home in heaven. That's, that is not contingent on whether or not you have a bad idea today and think negatively about somebody else. God said he will do it. He will do it. One of my favorite sections of Scripture, and this will probably tell you a little bit about me, I like Ezekiel 37, that Valley of Dry Bones Scripture. Again, if you've not read that for a while, go back and read As a kid, I was fascinated by that. I, I kind of like this horror movie kind of aspect of this, Right? <laughs> So again, tells you who I am, um, but you know I won't. I won't read the whole thing, but you, you remember the picture? Uh, Ezekiel is taken to this valley of dry bones, and the scripture says they are very dry. Makes that distinction: very dead. There's nothing there, and the Spirit of God says, "Can these live?" Now Ezekiel's a smart guy. He says, "Only you know, Lord, right? That's that's the right kind of answer, right?" And so. Uh, you know the story, the Lord says, "Prophesy to these bones, the bones begin to rattle, and at this point you know i 'm screaming like a little, little little child running out of there i 'm not, I'm not hanging around to see what happens next, but they start coming together, you know, and scripture's very clear about how they, the, this these bodies are constructed, and skin grows on them, and I mean this is wild stuff right i mean i 'm the only one that thinks this is weird this is you know so this is all happening but but then um Scripture says there's no breath in them. I mean, they're still dead. I mean, the bodies are complete, but they're still dead. And so, again, the Lord says, prophesy to the breath. So he does. And this this valley, of what was previously dead, stands to their feet. Scripture says an army, a mighty army. Now I'm really running, right? I mean, if, if you're hung around that long to see that, that's a freak-out moment, right? At least it is for me. I'll speak for myself. But So... But here's, here's what uh, Ezekiel 37:12 says. This is beautiful. Um, this is the Lord saying, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Not, not if. You catch that? When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I've done it, declares the Lord. There, there's the life from the dead that is really the hope of Israel. I mean, if you, if you go back and read that chunk of Scripture, it's very clear. It says this, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's what the Scripture says. And they say, we are cut off. We have no hope. And then this thing transpires. You know, it's interesting, uh, people who count these things, there are more than 60 places in Scripture Uh, that talk about the restoration of Israel, the restoration of uh, the people to God, the people to the land. Uh, Israel and the Jews are mentioned over 3,000 times in Scripture. There's a lot there. And again, you know, I don't know about you. If you grew up in this church, I know your experience wasn't like mine because if you grew up here and you've been trained uh, in this place, I know you have a good grasp because you've been discipled this way. I was not. And much of the church in North America is not. They just don't have this piece of of the puzzle. I'm speaking to family here today, so I know that. Um, So you have it. But I need to say it because it's really important. Okay? So jumping ahead then, we've got this history of Israel that's that's kind of back and forth, back and forth. But God has said, look, I'm going to do this. I am going to do this. So Yeshua, Jesus, is walking the land, and many Jews are flocking around him. I mean, uh, we, we often will see this as sort of like, well, the Jews rejected Jesus. That really isn't true. The, the ones who were in power, the ones who were threatened, definitely did. But people were, were flocking to Jesus. And um, the, it probably goes without saying, you know, it blows people's minds sometimes when I say, do you know every, every first believer was a Jew? Right? Think about it. <laughs> I mean, it's not rocket science. But we don't even think. See, see how our mind—we we, we do not think about that. Our mind doesn't even work that way. So it's interesting to me that you know we have this this Jewish heritage that accepts Jesus as their Jewish Messiah, and we are a part of that because the Gentiles started joining what um, what was called the Way. I mean, talk, I love the way the way the, the, the New Testament talks about coming into the Way. It's like there's the Way and there's the not Way, right? And so um, there becomes this 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 problem the Jews have. What are we going to do with these Gentiles? What, I mean, isn't that an interesting question? The Jews are saying, "What do we do?" The believing Jews? what do we do with these Gentiles? I mean, there are, there's so many flocking to us. So, you know, what do they do? They have a committee meeting. That's what we do. That's how we solve our problems. <laughs> you can read about it, Acts chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem. And they gather together as leaders, and they pray, and they seek the Lord, and they come away saying, well, um, we don't want to make it difficult for the Gentiles who are coming into the way. In other words, let's make this very easy. There, there was a lot of people that were saying, they have to obey, obey the dietary laws. You know, They have to become circumcised, which was a stop You know, all, all the action for a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to do that, right? All these things that many were saying had to happen. But they go, they inquire the Lord, listen to this. They come back saying, let's not make it hard. Let's tell them to avoid food sacrificed to idols and blood. I'm okay with that. Um, And from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. That's it. That's it. That's not like a high bar, right? So the Lord helped the Jews invite the Gentiles into this movement that God was you know, creating in these early days. Now, here is the sad history we have to talk about. It's family history. It's hard history. But we got to talk about this. What began to happen about the fourth century was Gentiles began to outnumber the Jews, okay? And so as they began to outnumber the Jews, they began to control things more and more. And uh, this theological shift Began to take place where uh, Gentile believers were trying to kind of pull apart anything that was Jewish and kind of get rid of it. Is that, I mean, I hope that hits you as kind of ironic and, you know, really, really kind of evil. That, you know, the Jews were saying, let's keep the doors open wide. The Gentiles all of a sudden have control. They're like, well, let's close the door. I mean, we're in. Let's close the door. Let's make it really hard. Let's make it hard for the Jews. And so we have this terrible history. Um, that and i 've got tons of this material don 't take my word for it please don 't anything i 'm saying research it for yourself it 's widely available, but starting in about the fourth century, um, people like uh, Constantine, the ruler of the of the known world, right, called a council together, urged them to disassociate themselves with anything that 's Jewish and it was kind of the start it 's like nothing, nothing Jewish from here on out um, uh, Saint Gregory describes Jews as slayers of the Lord, murderers of the prophets, enemies of God, haters of God, adversaries of grace. This goes on and on and on. John Chrysostom, he was he was known as the golden tongue preacher of his time. This guy must have had a gift. People would flock to hear him preach. He himself said of the Jews that they worship the devil. Their assemblies are criminals. God hates the Jews they're absolutely abandoned no expiation no indulgence no pardon see what's happening here this is really ugly history we have to be aware of because i'll tell you something jews understand this history they have a long memory it goes on saint augustine or augustine if you prefer called jews a witness people now that wasn't a compliment he said that you know if you want to know what happens when you are outside of God, just watch the Jews, because they're destined to show us just how bad things can really be. That was He, he called them a witness people. We know about the Crusades. Um, if, if you're ever in Israel and you get around some of, this, some of these places where the Crusaders were, it's, just, it's, it's interesting history, but it's really, really dark history. And there are written accounts of horrific things happening, like the Crusaders rounding up the Jews in a certain area, uh locking them into their synagogues setting the synagogue on fire and then marching around carrying the cross while they're screaming singing Christ we adore thee I mean that's the sort of thing that Jews remember so you can understand there's kind of a problem here <laughs> with us saying you know don't you want to be a part of what we're doing here don't you want to be a part of the way and they're like we know what the way means the way has been deadly to us it gets worse really there was accusation during the Black Death that the Jews were killing Christians, killing uh, uh, Gentile children, and using their blood in their Passover. It just it gets worse and worse and worse. Let's talk about Martin Luther for a minute. <laughs> oh you know, yeah, listen. Let's be fair. I am really, really thankful for the Reformation. You know, by some estimates, tens of thousands of people were killed during the Reformation because. They believed that things needed to change. And we could begin to read Scripture in our own language. We didn't have to go to a priest to have a media. There's some really, really amazing, important things that came out of the Reformation. Martin Luther really wasn't trying to pick a fight when he nailed his theses to the door. He just wanted to have a conversation, and the church wasn't having any, anything of it. So he is, he, he's somebody that uh, is kind of a mixture, like all of us, really great, and in some ways really evil. So um, he really thought that maybe the Jews would just all convert and that would be okay, but they didn't, and so he turned on them. He wrote a, a, he published, I think it's more than one volume, called On the Jews and Their Lies. You can judge that book by its cover, right? On the Jews and Their Lies. And there are scathing things in there, um, but here's, here's just a sample. He asks this question after talking about the Jews. What then shall we do with this damned, rejected race of the Jews? It's the question he's posing. He's going to write about this. This is where he's coming from. He has some suggestions. First, their synagogues should be set on fire, and whatever does not burn up should be covered or spread over with dirt so that no one may ever be able to see a cinder or a stone of it. Listen to this. And this ought to be done for the honor of God and of Christianity, in order that God may see that we are Christians. It's Martin Luther. By the way, the theological thought that most of America is formed from comes a lot from the German theologians, and Martin Luther was like at the beginning of this. Okay? In seminary, I had to read a lot of these guys, right? But the German theologians were really honored, and you know, there's, I'm telling you, there's some good stuff, but this is not, this is not good stuff. That's only his first... He's just getting started. Secondly, their homes should likewise be broken down and destroyed, for they perpetrate the same things there that they do in their synagogues. For this reason, they ought to be under one roof or in a stable like gypsies. I guess he didn't like gypsies either. Um, In order that they may realize they are not masters in our land as they boast, but miserable captives. Third, they should be deprived of their prayer books and talmuds, in which... Such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught. Fourthly, their rabbis must be forbidden under threat of death to teach any more. And now he's running uh, third base, going for the home run. This is how he sums it up. To sum up, dear princes and nobles who have Jews in your domains, if this advice of mine does not suit you, then find a better one so that you and we may all be free of this insufferable, devilish burden, the Jews. Next to the devil, a Christian has no more bitter and galling foe than the Jew. I don't know how that hits you. That, I mean, it's a mixture of deep grief and a lot of anger. As I read that, that's kind of just the mixture that I have. Because that kind of thinking, that kind of theological thought, really was what was behind Hitler's ability to do what he did. Um. Hitler defined his position on this on his Jews by saying, this is Hitler talking, I believe that I am today acting in accordance with the will of Almighty Creator by defending myself against the Jew. I am fighting for the work of the Lord. You can see how he could say that, right? I mean, he's saying to the church in Germany, look, I'm just doing what, you, what your guy has advocated doing. I don't know if you follow this very closely, I I, I tend to, but anti-Semitism and the kind of uh, uh, attacks, those kinds of things, is on the increase again. There are um, elderly people in Europe that are saying it's really 1939 in Europe again. They remember, they're saying, we've seen this movie before, we know how it ends, it's not good, but um, there's been a really huge... Huge uptick uh, just in the last few years in the United States. If you watch the news, you read about this. It's uh, right now we are probably at the highest level of anti-Semitic uh, kinds of action since the 1970s. So we're we're in a we're in a rough spot with this kind of thing going on. Uh, Anti-Semitism is causing many Jews to leave other countries and make their way to Israel, which you know you think about it this way, God said, I'm going to regather you. There's lots of ways to get people regathered into a place and not all of them look good, but that's what's happening. So why am I telling you all this? Because if you read the apostle Paul, if you just read what Paul writes, you could never get to the place that Luther and so many of the church fathers actually got to. You, you can't, you can't possibly get there. Um, I love the book of Romans. Uh, it's, it's like one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's loaded with great stuff, right? Uh, commentators, for a long time, had difficulty with the book of Romans when they get to chapter 9. So they're, they're reading through, they're saying this, I mean, these amazing themes that Paul's writing about this. I can apply this. I can talk about this. You know, commentators like to commentate. So, but they, they would get, historically, they'd get to chapter 9 and go, ooh, hmm, what's he doing? He's talking about Jews, Okay, well, let's keep moving. Maybe I can find something to grab hold of here. Get to chapter 10. No, still talking about the Jews. Keep going. Chapter 11, really talking about the Jews here. Chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I can finally grab hold of something again. Keep writing. So there's three chapters in the middle of Romans that largely has been untouched by many commentators, just left alone. um, And... So, it's interesting, I think, that if you're actually going to understand what's going on here, you probably ought to see what Paul has to say about this. Because again, Paul has a, has a different opinion on what's going on. Uh, Paul, in Romans 11.1, 1 asks a simple question. Now, remember, he's been writing about the Jews, talking about the Jews for a long time. Then he says this, I ask then, did God reject his people? Simple question. Paul asks a simple question, Right? Now, um, Martin Luther, church fathers, are saying, yep, yes. The answer to that question, Paul, is yes. God did reject his people. But if they'd have read on, Paul answers his own question. You know, he says, by no means. Not at all. Are you kidding me? That's Martin. Okay. (laughs) But can you see how simple it is to get the right answer to this question? And I have to believe that something very dark was at work, clouding people's minds to come to a different conclusion i just do okay he goes on um and verse 11 again i ask again; has the same question did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery again church fathers yes they did they stumbled no recovery i mean you're, i mean i read some of this stuff no recovery right yes that's the answer well paul says uh, again not at all listen to this rather because of their transgression salvation has come to the gentiles Think about that for a minute. We're here because some Jews got it wrong. <laughs> right? Their transgression means riches for the, for the world. If their, if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater will their fullness bring? Let's unpack that just for a second. So when the Jews got it wrong, we got our salvation, but it's, it's bigger than that. Uh, the gospel spread across the known world at the time when they got it wrong. The gospel made its way to Europe. Europe used to be a pretty amazing place in terms of the gospel spreading. It spreads through Europe like wildfire. It comes to the United States. The United States experiences the first and second great awakening. I'm praying for a third. Um, Latin America gets lit. South America comes on fire. And I'll tell you now um, that the East and the Middle East are just, I could tell you stories until the sun sets about what's going on there. When they got it wrong, that's what we got. By the way, I can't help but tell you this. This is so exciting. I'm going to give you some good news in the midst of all this. For a long time, we said that, rightly so, that the fastest growing church in the world was where? China. Right? been that way for a long time, and the church in China is still growing by leaps and bounds, so don't take this the wrong way. But per capita now, listen, the fastest growing church in the world today is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. The Islamic Republic of Iran. Fastest growing. Uh, no churches, no, no property, uh, no real formal structure, because it's all illegal mostly run by women because the men are dead or in prison, fastest growing. They have none of the stuff we have here, right? Fastest. Somebody needs to be encouraged by that because we, I think, and again, this is my generation of church leadership and how we were trained. We have to have certain things, things have to be just right for the church to grow. Now, I like my creature comforts. I'm glad the air conditioning is working in here. But you can't apply that reasoning if you see what God's doing in a place like Iran. Okay? So the... This this is all spreading just like wildfire across the Middle East. The the Chinese have sent missionaries uh, into the Middle East saying, the Middle East, those nations are going to be our inheritance as Chinese believers. They want to have an inheritance as well. And they're not seen as enemies. Like, if an American goes to the Middle East, trust me, we don't blend. (laughs) But uh, when when, um, everything happened in Afghanistan... And as badly as I felt about that, personally, I had somebody say to me, who is from Afghanistan, okay, this is how God is redeeming something really bad. As soon as that happened, the Chinese said, that's our inheritance, we're going in. So businessmen you know, came and said, we, we would like to bring economic prosperity, We like to, and, and so they're coming in that way. So God's finding ways to... To just spread the gospel that's like nothing we've seen before. And listen, this is when the Jews got it wrong. So Paul goes on, because he's not done yet. Verse 15: For if their rejection, if the Jews' rejection, is the reconciliation of the world, ready? What will their acceptance be but, say it, life from the dead? Just like the valley of dry bones. Very dead, very dry. Life from the dead. Now, here's a theological point that you might disagree with me on. I'll put it out there because I'm just are family meeting this morning. I used to believe, when I read this thing about life from the dead, that it was like a light switch. You go into a dark room, flip the switch on, life from the dead. I really believed that. I don't anymore because of what I'm seeing. What I'm beginning to believe is this life from the dead that Paul is talking about, and frankly, what the prophets talked about and longed to see is more like a dimmer switch, right? You know, it's a rotary thing. that You kind of turn up and the light goes up. That, by the way, it never goes down. (laughs) Kingdom always advances, right? So that's the way I'm, I'm, I'm kind of seeing this based on what I see going on around the world. And so if it's true now that we can go to places like Jerusalem today and we can worship with believers who are saying what Jesus said they'd have to say before he returned. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can, I could can take you to, to places where they're actually singing that today in Jerusalem. It's happening. So maybe the Lord's return is very near. Um, so this is when the Jews are starting to get a lot of this stuff right. Now, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm saying something that I'm not here. I do believe that um, God is not finished with this move. I think that it's he's moving faster and faster. Our friends in Israel are very tired, who are leaders. They're very tired. Pray for them. Because what they've asked for, for decades, is happening. Right? It's Very hard ground. Some of these people have been ministering there for 40 years, longer. Uh, when the ground was as hard as concrete, now, you know, God is moving. and And... Jews, by the thousands, are recognizing that Yeshua has always been their Jewish Messiah, and they're receiving him. And what they need most now is help with discipleship, because they have all these these new believers. That'd be a great problem to have, but they're tired. They've been working hard. So they do need laborers to join them in the harvest. But here's, here's, here's the takeaway, and here's the kind of second big idea. If we are watching God's action doing this work among the Jews in Israel, frankly, doing this among Jews all over the world, what can we expect? We can expect, I believe, life from the dead. More and more and more. I think, you know, we, you know, Sharon and I get to hear, hear reports about what God's doing many places in the world just because we're connected there. And there's a lot of good report going on. There's plenty of bad, you know. And all you have to do is turn the news and you see the bad. But I'm telling you, alongside of it is amazing stuff that God is doing. And I think, I believe at least, that he's doing that because his action among the Jewish people is on the rise. He's, he's fulfilling his promises right now, today. I mean, today, Jews are saying, oh, it's Yeshua. It's always been Yeshua. Yeah, he, and he's Jewish, <laughs> right? It, these are these simple things, right? But, but going back to church history, think of how hard it is for somebody who is Jewish and recognizes that Yeshua is really his his Jewish Messiah. But there were these people that, in his name, burned Jews alive in their synagogues. That's a pretty big disconnect. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we pray for God's work, we're really repenting on behalf of our ancestors who did these very cruel things and actually put a big wall up between what was supposed to be one family. Right. Paul does go on and say, I want you to understand these things, um, these writing about, so you won't become conceited or proud. Again, Paul says, that. I'm telling you all the stuff about the Jews, to you Gentiles, by the way, Romans was written to the Christians in Rome, so I'm telling you this so you won't become conceited. You won't become proud. Doesn't it sound like someone conceited and proud would say, yeah, you know what? Uh, God's thrown away the Jews, and he started over with us. It's, that is pretty conceited. Paul saw it coming, <laughs> and he actually calls him out on it. says, I'm doing this so you won't become this. Well, it's not a total loss in, uh, in, in terms of um, Christianity. The Gentile world has always had sort of a remnant of this understanding. Do you know, by the way, going back to the Reformation 500 years ago, once people could start reading Scripture in their own language, you know what they discovered? God has a plan for the Jews. It's all right here. I never knew it because I couldn't read it. That really was the beginning of a restoration of people's understanding. So there's always been this. Um, I live in Wilmore, the other holy city. Um, So not that. (laughs) I love Wilmore. But, you know, we love John Wesley in Wilmore. Um, And, you know, I, I was curious because... When I was studying this years ago, I thought, I wonder what John Wesley said about Romans 11. I wonder if he was one of those guys that just kind of skipped it. Because I mean, literally, you can read commentators of big names, they just skip it. It's like, like it didn't exist. Well, I found out that Wesley didn't skip it. I think Wesley got it right. Listen to what he says. He's talking about this life from the dead and Israel's restoration. Wesley says this, So many prophecies refer to this grand event, it's surprising any Christian can doubt of it. I mean, you know, Wesley's thinking, you must be an idiot if you can't see this, you know? It's surprising that anybody can doubt it. And these are greatly confirmed by the wonderful preservation of the the Jews as a distinct people to this day. You know, historically, when a culture is dispersed, taken into captivity, dispersed, they cease to exist as a culture. They just, not the Jews. God has kept them as a distinct people to this day. Wesley saw it. this is in 1755, so, you know, a while back. He says this When it's accomplished, it will be so strong a demonstration, both in the Old and New Testament revelation, as will, oh, how he says this, doubtless convince many thousand deists in countries that are nominally Christian. Think Europe right now, okay? (laughs) And this will be a means of swiftly propagating the gospel among Mohammedans and pagans. Wesley saw that this move would actually impact the Islamic world and the pagan world, like nothing we've seen before. Folks, I get pretty passionate about this um, because we're living in this day. I mean, this is, these are amazing days to be alive in the kingdom. Are they challenging? Yeah. Um, is, is it possible that we'll have friends, maybe even ourselves, who will be at risk of having our hearts grow cold? Yeah, I'm very wary of that. Is it possible that we toy around with things that are not true or a little untrue and get ourselves untethered from the person who is truth? Yeah, we've got to be very careful these days, folks. Our culture is telling us things all the time that are so far from what's true. And if we toy with those things, I think we're putting ourselves in danger. And yeah, I think we really have to be uh, honest about that. But while all that's going on, life from the dead is happening. I believe we're going to see it. I would like to think I'll see it in its completion in my lifetime. We may. We very well may. So what do we conclude from all this? Romans 11.29 says that God's gifts and call are irrevocable i just like to say that word. It kind of rolls off my tongue, irrevocable. <laughs> we say that to one another once in a while, um, and it's okay. We can, we, can, we can borrow this scripture, just put it back where you found it. Um, when, when, when somebody is kind of feeling down, feeling like they kind of put on the shelf, you know, they've been in ministry and now they're not, and, you know, whatever. But, you know, God's gifts and call are irrevocable. So be encouraged, be encouraged. We say that to one another. That's okay. But keep in mind that Paul is still writing about the Jews here. That's who, he's, that's who this is written to. you know the number one rule of Bible um, uh, interpretation is who's the audience and what's the topic here? He's writing about the Jews. so what are what are God's gifts and call to the Jews? Well, God's gifts, the land, the law, the covenants, the privilege to know him that's a gift that God gave to the Jews. what's God's call to be a kingdom of priests? His special possession to be a light in the world. And to be a people that display his name and character. How are they doing? They got a ways to go. How about you? I got a ways to go. But remember, God is not doing this for anything other than his namesake. He's going to do this. He doesn't need another reason. He may have other reasons. But he said he would do it. So he's going to do it. The gifts and call are irrevocable. You know, I think Saint Augustine was right. The Jews are a witness people. They really are. Not in the way that he meant it, but the Jews are witness people to us to demonstrate God's faithfulness to a people who are unfaithful. I don't know about you, but personally, I take a lot of comfort in that. I can turn that around and ask you a very pointed question, and it's this If God really has just kind of thrown away the Jews because of their unfaithfulness, how secure is their salvation? Quit preaching and went to meddling right there, didn't I? (laughs) It's a good question, right? So I'm thankful that God is faithful. I'm thankful that um, he is going to fulfill his purposes to Israel. Why Israel? I think my dad was right. You know, why Israel? Because by watching what God is doing there, we will know what God is doing around the world. We'll have a good perspective on what the time clock looks like. And so we pray. We pray. This is the National Day of Prayer for the Peace of Jerusalem. I was speaking to a um, board of directors recently and sharing this message. They they actually invited me to come and share this uh, message. Uh, It's kind of of the snapshot of what I gave you today. But I talked about October 1st, and they all went, what? What is that? The National Prayer for the Peace of Jerusalem? What is that? Never heard of it. I'm like, yeah, it's like a day set aside for congregations actually to enter into God's heart. And several of them said, I'm going to take this back to my congregation. So I'm hopeful that it's spreading. But it's really important, I think. Maybe not, we, not that we set aside a day for that. Maybe we set aside a place in our heart to do this on a regular basis. Psalm 122 says this, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure May there be peace within your walls and security in your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the whole house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. You know, when something is said in that direct tone, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it sounds like a command to me. It isn't like the Lord is saying, I'd like it if you would do this. Would you please do this? He's saying, do it. Right? But listen... I don't mean to sound um, uh, like, like we're, we're trying to get something out of this, but there are, there are benefits to praying for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Do you need more security in your world right now? I do. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Cultivate a love for, the, for what God's doing among the, Is, the Israel, Israelites. And uh, really, as, as uh, Philip was saying, all that live in, in, in Jerusalem... In that land, because they are at a place right now where they're kind of at, they're fighting amongst themselves. So security, pretty important. For the sake of my family and friends. There's something to be had for our family and friends as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the whole house of the Lord. That's us. It's the body of Christ. There's something to be gained as we do that. So um, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to do this, and I want to say something very important to you all as my family. You all, whether you know it or not, have had years and years and years and years and years of people in this congregation who have devoted themselves to this. It's been their primary thing that they've done. I don't think I'd ever been around a Prayer for Israel group until I came uh around the group of here at living waters has been doing that for a long time. And so just to honor God's move here as he has continually poured himself into and through you all praying for the Jews, praying for the ministry of the Lord in that land, praying for the leaders who desperately need it, praying for peace around its borders and I'll never forget um, being up in the Golan Heights and watching this beautiful sunset. It's actually stunning up there. If I had to live someplace in Israel, it'd be in the north. And a friend of mine says, "Yeah, well, you have about 150,000 missiles aimed at your head right now. Sleep well tonight, because all around the mountains there, the, the enemies of Israel have gathered their forces and they have equipped themselves for a moment where they want to wipe out Israel. They're planning on doing this, folks. I mean, it, this isn't this isn't just fantasy." It, you know, I mean, people argue about whether they'll be successful or not, but they plan to do it. That's my point. And we see these skirmishes from time to time. They, they sometimes get loud and big enough that actually make the news, but I'm telling you, it's going on all the time, all the time. And within Israel itself right now, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of divisiveness, not unlike what we feel here in the United States. People set against one another. And so um, we want to pray for all those things. And I want to invite, where's, where's Carol at? There's Carol. Um, I invited Carol um, to invite some of the folks from the Israel prayer group here to pray, simply pray, um, in this really, really important season. So whoever you guys have designated, if you'd make your way to the platform, and um, Philip, I'm sure you got a microphone for them. We just want to spend a few minutes here at the end, just in, the, in a real spirit of thankfulness to the Lord for what we've been given, When the Jews got it wrong, we got our salvation. And as they're getting it right, we will see dramatic things. To the end that I believe Jesus returns, which I think is soon. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.
1: All right, I'll begin. Are we on? Okay. Okay. I'm going to read my prayer because uh, I want to make sure I get it all in here. And uh, this is from my heart. I want you to know that. There is only one city in the entire world to which you, Father, have tied your very name the city of Jerusalem. As the geographical center of your kingdom, the call to pray fervently for Jerusalem is declared throughout Scripture until Jerusalem becomes a praise in the earth. So today we pray for the old, the young, the people in the streets, the governing body, the Knesset, the prime minister, the border police, the IDF, and all those in authority. We pray for for those who go to pray at the Western Wall. May the veil of blindness hiding their Messiah and ours be removed from their souls. We pray for more watchmen to go to Jerusalem and stand within the gates and declare that these prayers will never cease. We pray for believers in Yeshua scattered across the land and in Jerusalem. We pray that they will be encouraged and receive favor with you, Lord, and with those around them as they boldly proclaim who you are. May they see fruit from their outreaches. Many Jewish souls receiving you, Jesus, as their long-awaited Messiah, and I want to include the Arabs as well in that part. We pray and intercede against evil forces that would disturb the peace in Jerusalem. Violent incidents, hatred, terrorism, troublemakers. We pray for those who worship Allah on the Temple Mount. May they have an encounter with you, Jesus. We speak and declare your perfect peace to Jerusalem. We pray for wholeness and completeness. We pray for your love and your joy to fall upon the city. We ask that you send times of refreshing upon those who live and work there. Lord, help us to be zealous for the things of your heart. We want to be faithful to pray for the peace of your city. We want to see the day when your city and all Israel will arise and welcome you by saying, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, Yeshua. Amen.
2: First of all, we acknowledge that God's holy love for this is for Israel's salvation. It means Israel's salvation is God's holy love, and it says, "Let the Jewish people hear you speak personally to their hearts," and that's in Jeremiah thirty-one twenty. And I um, and I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness, and Yeshua who. You who wept over uh, Jerusalem, fulfill the yearning of your heart to receive the worship and love of the Jewish people. Cause your word to be fulfilled, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the next one is repentance. We, re- we proclaim the word of the Lord over Israel. I longs to be gracious to you, Israel. As soon as he hears you, he will answer you. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Say to him, forgive us all our sins and receive us graciously. That's Isaiah 30:18 through 19. And then the third part of this is outpouring of the spirit. As we set ourselves in agreement, we ask, Sovereign one, let a new and powerful outpouring of your spirit on your people begin. Only by your spirit will the veil over Israel be removed and Messiah revealed. Cause the salvation and spirit fullness of the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy for her Messiah. That's Romans 11, 11, 25, and 26. O oh, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they all might be saved. That's Romans 10, 1. Make your salvation known to Jewish people living in the nations as well as in the land. Let there be an unprecedented global harvest of Jewish people according to your word in Yeshua's name.
3: This is a very serious thing for all of us. And we have been on the streets of Jerusalem. And this is what I pray every night, sometimes two and three times a day. God, protect the land of Israel from the air, the land, and the sea. I pray you protect them, Lord, north, south, east, and west. Whatever religion there might be there, that they might come together and cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. I even pray now that in Meisharim, which is the area where all the rabbis study all their lives, and they're looking for God, I've been praying lately that the rabbis would cry out in the streets and with a loud voice and a shofar, Baruch Abba, Bashim Adonai. It's a terrible thing to be surrounded by your enemies, and they are. And before long, we will be here. And if I was in downtown Jerusalem, here's what I would pray as a rabbi or an inhabitant there who knows they're surrounded by the enemies. It is Psalm 140. I pray this on their behalf. Pray with me. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to this voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not the Lord the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot or that they would be exalted. And no other name but Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ our Messiah I pray